0: Welcome to Soul of Islam Radio. Soul of Islam Radio is a leading edge personal growth and spiritual development podcast available entirely for free throughout the world. Our goal is to support you in your path of personal transformation and spiritual evolution and to supporting an awakening within the global community. The Islamic Renaissance depends upon you and your commitment to the highest and most noble ideals of a spiritually awakened life. Thank you for joining us. This is Ihsan, and this is Season 4, Episode
1: 5.
0: <laughs> Assalamu alaikum wa This is Ihsan. I am a personal growth and spiritual development coach creator of the Islamic Meditation and Eternal Warrior Way programs, lead activist and director in the Islamic Renaissance Project, and co-founder of Soul of Islam Radio. I recently had the joy and pleasure of having a conversation with Sidi Jamil Popatia, who was a coach, a facilitator, a trainer, a counselor, and a mediator in the field of nonviolent communication. When we remember that al-Islam is the path of peace, the way of love, mercy, compassion, and beauty, it becomes immediately obvious that this approach to life must be, by necessity, an integral aspect of our conduct and thus our communication. Virtually all conflict is a failure to communicate, which by definition is the attempt to connect, to commune at some level, with one another and with others. Also, when we remember that the goal of al-Islam is oneness and the transcendence of separation, which is but the result of ego-based consciousness, we realize that it is the path of mercy and compassion that guides us beyond selfishness, that which results in so much suffering in our lives, both individually and collectively. By learning how to communicate non-violently, and thus think non-violently, we progressively develop the Islamic ideal of peace light, love, and beauty that was so perfectly exemplified in the holy and noble character of Rasulullah Wasallam, Sayyidina Muhammad al-Mustafa Dear and beloved listeners of Soul of Islam Radio, I hope you will enjoy this enlightening conversation with Sidi Jamil Papatia, and more importantly, that it benefits you fundamentally in your personal path of growth, development, and the attainment of the divine pleasure of Allah Almighty. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Assalamu Alaikum wa Rahmatullahi wa It's a pleasure to have you with us on Soul of Islam Radio. I've been looking forward to this conversation for quite some time. We've had a few conversations up until now and it brings me great joy to bring you out onto Soul of Islam Radio and inshallah provide an opportunity for the rest of our community to benefit. I've been fascinated with our discussions and have very much enjoyed your perspective when it comes to Islam and the importance of communication, communicating from a place of peace and serenity and nonviolence. So it's a pleasure to have you with us. Welcome, Jamil.
1: Wa alaikum as wa rahmatullah, sadi, ahsan. it's my pleasure to be here. And uh, I too want to state that not only is Soul of Islam a, a program that, you know, it's very dear to me and, and I've listened to it on the roads, traveling. Um, and found much benefit in it. And I also want to say that all of our conversations have resonated with me tremendously. And so it's an honor for me to be here, Hassan.
0: Alhamdulillah. A great joy and a great pleasure. And I'm very much looking forward to this conversation, as I know many of our listeners will be as well. Sidi Jamil, we've had some illuminating conversations, and it's really helped deepen my understanding of how important communication is in the life of a human being especially of a muslim and when we realize that the way that we communicate is actually part of our religion it's a revelation in the in its ability in that in the ability of that realization to transform our relationships could you speak for a moment on really what drew you to this field of nonviolent communication and how you have come to see its sort of necessity, integral necessity within one's Islamic life.
1: hmm rahman rahim It's a, a question that, you know, it might take a little while to answer, but inshallah, I'll do my best to give some context as to how this became of interest to me. Well, I accepted uh, Islam, Sunni orthodox Islam that is at the age of 22, so more than 15 years ago now. And... Um, I was and I've been walking Islam for quite some time on God's green earth, but it has always troubled me the uh, aggressive language of us and them and a language that separates rather rather than connects. And so that troubled me for some time. And in the being in the field of counseling, conflict resolution, mediation, particularly family mediation, um, this comes up a lot for me. And I wanted to explore ways that people were interacting with each other in a way that was nonviolent, but more appropriately, compassionate. And, uh, you know, un- compassionate communication is, is another term for nonviolent communication. And that, so it came across my table the book by uh, the late Dr. Marshall Rosenberg um, of the United States, who wrote a book called Nonviolent Communication A Language of Life. And in it, he talked about people connecting. And sometimes those people being sworn enemies. Sometimes those people being uh, spouses, parent-child relationships. And in a way that was based on one's feelings rather than positions and based on human needs and values that are universals as opposed to positions or values that are unique to that individual, if you understand what I'm saying. So... What, if you read the book, what Marshall Rosenberg talked about was universals, like the need for autonomy, the need for community, the need for connection. And this resonated with me because these aren't needs that are unique to us as Muslims or unique to um, Americans or Canadians or a particular race or culture or religion. These are universal values and needs. And when we speak from that universal language, we are able to connect with people that um, previously there was a, a great divide between, whether that's a family relationship or even geopolitical groups. Um, and certainly in Rosenberg's book, he talks about working um, in Palestine with Palestinians and Israelis. He talks about working um, with parents and, and spouses. And so this really resonated with me. So I thought, how is this relevant in the context of Islam? Is, is, can this be woven into Islam or is it already there and I just don't know enough about it? And one of the things I did was embark on a kind of a sociological project of my own where I'd try to find out is, you know, is there a place for this in Islam? And I found that there is.
0: MashaAllah, could you maybe share some light on that discovery Mm -hmm. and the realization of how really essential this approach to life and to communication was, is, and was in the life, and in the way of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa
1: When we talk about being a community of believers as Muslims, and really as any other religious group, particularly Jews and Christians, our Abrahamic brothers, um, we are people of a moral compass. About that, there's no doubt. We do have a moral compass to the way we live our um, spiritual lives, um, what I think theologians call ethical monotheism, and we are certainly part of that community of ethical monotheists and in being part of that community we have morals we have ethics we have a a worldly compass if you will about uh, with regards to how we conduct our lives and how we interact with others and there is a risk in that I find and that risk is we can become moralistic we can easily become judgmental and what may appear to be righteousness is quite easily you know, we can slide into self-righteousness, where there's a type of spiritual arrogance to the way we walk God's green earth. And that bothered me. It still bothers me. And so I wondered how we can, you know, was this the way of the companions of the Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him? And was it his way? And I certainly, in in all my reading and studying and sitting with the people of God, I haven't found that, that this is the case. In fact, I find that I found that most of the interactions between the Prophet and his companions were soft, gentle when they needed to be. And harshness and a type of inflexible rigidity only was manifested when absolutely necessary. And they responded well. The Quran speaks of this, saying that had he been the Prophet Muhammad that is Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, had he been harsh and rigid and rough with his companions or the people around him. They would have fled from him, but he wasn't. He was made mercy to all the world, rahmatun alamin, as it says. And I kind of see that as a missing component to our communities, Ihsan. I think that the way we connect with each other, or I, I should say the way we interact with each other, does not make for deep connection. And so in looking at the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, his life, you see that he connected well with people, people who hated him and people who loved him people who were against his message and those who were ready and willing to embrace the new order that he had brought to the Arabian Peninsula and essentially the world thereafter. So that's my findings. And I know there's other narratives out there. The narrative of us and them, the narrative of believer, non-believer, the narrative of Momin and Kafir. I just do not accept those so easily. And I think that is a component to learning about Islam from a non-political paradigm. And in so doing, this fits right in. And in looking at the seerah of the beloved prophet, peace and blessings of God be upon him, it, it becomes clear and apparent that this is in spirit and possibly even in letter, right in line with his sunnah, the sunnah of uh, a gentle prophet.
0: Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. <laughs> you know, when I look and read and reflect and meditate upon the way of the Prophet wasallam and remember mm-hmm. the Prophet wasallam, it becomes clear that we as an ummah may have lost connection with his real way. Mm-hmm. You know, we hear the quote, to follow the sunnah of the Prophet I leave behind me the Qur'an and the sunnah, my sunnah. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, you know, people interpret that to mean uh, when it comes to the Sunnah of the Prophet to, to have a beard, to use a miswak, you mm-hmm. know, to cover your head, etc. But it's become clear to me that there's a deeper way of the Prophet, sal-islam. as you mentioned, that is the way of gentleness, mm-hmm. the way of love, the way of kindness, the way of compassion, the mm-hmm. way of non-violence. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. this is at the heart and soul of Islam,
1: literally, literally. Right. And I just, uh, Hassan, thank you for sharing that. That resonates with me entirely. And, you know, in sharing what, in, in my NVC community, nonviolent communication community, nonviolence does not necessarily, it's not restricted to the absence of physical aggression. Nonviolence refers also to the way we connect with people, talk with people, embrace people, those who are, from our communities and those who are outside of our communities. And I couldn't agree with you more, Hassan, that perhaps the community of believers, the Muslims globally, and this, of course, there are glaring exceptions to this, but the pattern that perhaps you and I have observed in traveling and studying and, and, and being on this path for some time is that we've lost focus on the important essentials of how we interact with people, how we interact with nature food, ourselves, our families, our spouses and children, etc. We are focused on those easy things. It doesn't take a whole lot of effort to put on a hat, to grow a beard of some length, to enter the mosque with your right foot, leave with your left foot. These I'm not trivializing these. These are part of the Prophet's Beloved Sunnah. I 100% accept them, but there's a lot more to that. What about smiling in your brother's face Mm. as an act of charity? How often do we enter mosques, where people are so immersed immersed in their daily struggles. And, and life, I'm not trivializing the difficulties of, of life. They're there, they're present. We feel them, we experience them. The, the Prophet, peace and blessings of God be upon him, used to look at people and look at them completely, turn his body entirely to them when they would speak to him, and he would smile. He would smile, an ear-to-ear smile, sallallahu alayhi wa, alayhi wa oh, And that didn't matter who was talking to him. And even when people were somewhat rough with him, as we know of the story of the Bedouin, he was gentle with them in return. This is the spirit that I read about in the sunnah. And I find in the interactions I'm having and the the workshops and studies that I am conducting and being part of in nonviolent communication is that this is a sought after um, quality that people are looking for. And it is irrelevant whether they're Muslim or not. Um, people are looking for a way to connect with others. And we should be part of this conversation because we have the best of creation who showed us how to create how to connect with our creator and how to connect with others and how to connect with the natural world.
0: MashaAllah Alhamdulillah, Allah Almighty says in the Quran even that in the Messenger you have a most noble example, mm-hmm. a most perfect and beautiful example to follow. And Allah also mm-hmm. says in the Quran to say to them, Ya Rasulullah. If you love me, if you love Allah, follow me. Mm-hmm. Follow mm-hmm. me. Walk my way, walk my path. Follow in my example. Allah will love you and will forgive you your sins. May Allah mm-hmm. guide us and our ummah to really understand and follow the footsteps of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam sincerely and in reality. One of the great realizations I've had, Sidi Jameel, with regards to communication is that it's not so much the words necessarily that one uses, But as you alluded to earlier, the energy behind the words, the state that, and that has to do with the state that I'm in. If I'm angry internally, I'm probably going to channel that anger unless I have learned how to communicate differently to control that anger and channel Mm -hmm. it. Otherwise, I will probably unconsciously channel that anger into my words and those words will carry that energy to another human being who will receive it, almost as an assault, an emotional type of energetic assault. (laughs) One of the things I've come to realize as well is that, as you mentioned, violence is not just physical. There can be emotional violence, psychological violence, energetic violence. Mm -hmm. Could you speak to that for a moment? about you know, the importance of state and one's ability to channel their emotions so as to communicate with compassion and with love.
1: You know, uh, you know Ehsan, you're bringing up a lot of important points that um, perhaps I uh, did not address in your initial question, and it's what's coming to mind is the saying that that the tongue is the vehicle of the heart or the translator of the heart, to be literal, In other words, what comes out of your mouth or our mouths, what comes out of us is what's in our hearts. And it doesn't matter, which is a great point that you're bringing up, Ihsan, is that we can learn all the formulas. We can learn all the words from a a practice like nonviolent communication, compassionate communication. And we can get all the books and and, and videos and trainings that we can uh, be part of. But if it's not something that's an internal reality, an inner truth that you're living, that you're experiencing, then that will be detected. And what will come out of you are words, and simply words, but it would not be a state or a, uh, an experienced energy, as you put it. It's something that would be formulaic. And I think you and I would agree that if there's one thing that the Muslims have become, among many other communities, but our community we can speak of, is that they've become very formulaic. They've become very um, ritualistic in a mechanical sense, not in the rich tradition of rituals that we understand, but in a mechanical sense. And so, you know, that it, it also brings to mind the, the Arabic saying, uh, You can't give what you don't possess, you cannot share something that you don't have. And this comes, this brings to mind, you know, the topic of empathy that you brought up empathy and compassion. We often skip over in a type of self-deprecating display, offering empathy to ourselves. And offering empathy to ourselves has nothing to do with self-loathing or the kind of woe-is-me paradigm. Empathy, self-empathy, involves acknowledging what one is feeling, what one is experiencing, even the physiological sensations that one is experiencing, and being able to name them and not necessarily do anything about them at that moment. But the first step is that pause in order to be able to name what it is that one is feeling. What this does is it prevents the knee-jerk reaction. Uh, Of all people, a Muslim should have a calculated, thoughtful response to every occurrence that occurs that happens in his or her life. Um, Even children, you can see, uh, those who have the ability to put off a reaction are emotionally intelligent human beings. They get that because they're raised by parents and caregivers who also have that. It can't be something that's taught. It has to be a lived experience. And so I'm really um, appreciative and grateful that you brought up the topic of empathy and how it relates to how we talk to each other, how we connect with each other in writing, in, reading, in, in, in speaking, and how we teach. You know, That's perhaps another... Uh, episode on how we teach our children, how we teach adults, even, um, because we've adopted a power over as opposed to a power with uh, a paradigm. And so, this is what comes up as you bring those topics of empathy and compassion up, Ihsan. And I'm, I'm really appreciative of you bringing these up in the way you're bringing them up.
0: Allahumma <laughs> Sayyidina Muhammad, this is such a, a fascinating and important topic, Sidi And I'm mm-hmm. so happy that we have you here with us today.
1: Glad to be here.
0: There are so many in our community whose families may consider themselves good and practicing Muslim families, Mm -hmm. yet unfortunately children in these households are often actually being raised in very traumatic and violent environments. Mm -hmm. A lot of yelling and fighting and screaming and even more passive forms of violence and aggression. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Could you just possibly Sidi Jamil again emphasize the importance of really inheriting and embracing this state of non-violence for a Muslim specifically because this is the way of our Prophet the um, and
1: then the example that I'll, I'll start with an example that comes to mind for me and I, I just don't remember her name at the moment where the Prophet came to a female companion and she didn't see him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and he said to her to have patience and to be patient because she had lost um, family members in a battle. And she snapped. She snapped at him in the sense and said, You didn't lose your husband, you didn't lose your son, you know. And he didn't respond in defending himself, he didn't respond in disciplining her or moralizing her. He walked away. She later realized what she had done and who was behind her talking to her. And she made an attempt to go talk to him and say, you know, I had no idea that that was you. And, you know, I'm extremely sorry. I'm terribly sorry. I I, I make repentance Toba, to God for my sin. And he said to her a beautiful thing, that patience is at the first calamity. In other words, patience is at the first trigger. When we find ourselves triggered, whether it be from our spouses, our children, co-workers at the office, at work, um, wherever we find triggers is to stop and to pause with the gift of interpreting and understanding what it is that's triggering us so we can have a calculated, thoughtful, dignified response rather than a reaction. What you're alluding to and what you're mentioning about families is unfortunately... uh, a very real experience that families, and unfortunately, Muslim families are are no exception to this. That these are they're experiencing these knee-jerk reactions and emotional responses that are really quite knee-jerk in the sense that there's no thought to them when a child does some infraction, for example, or a husband and wife have some disagreement that it results in yelling and fighting, and oftentimes, unfortunately, which you and I you know, perhaps more aware than others, is this also results in violence in the home. Physical violence that is. The unfortunate reality is that for many, many reasons, a lot of times these get justified under the guise, under the blanket of the religion, saying that, you know, that this type of hierarchical power over is justified in our religion. And I would like to see those premises being challenged that that, that those are part of our religion. They're inherently part of our faith. I think a huge part of this has to do with the somewhat dead, dysfunctional cultures that many Muslims find themselves living in, you know, east of east of where we are. And that, that that is brought to the new world wherever they come and new life. It's not to say that those aren't rich cultures and, and very, you know, praiseworthy parts of those cultures, but there are also parts that are steeped in misogyny, steeped in a violent paradigm, steeped in uh, a power over narrative. And I think we need to challenge that. I I think we need to think anew and evolve. And I say this with trepidation because I do not want to be mistaken. As someone who uh, is asking for a progressive or modernist, postmodernist approach to Islam, I'm not suggesting that in the slightest bit. What I am suggesting is maybe we need to look at how we interact with each other and look deeper into the essentials of our faith and say, are we are we really living up to this overall message of peace, nonviolence? It, it is not a. I do not want to insinuate that this is a, a message of uh, wishy-washy sort of gray. Uh, morals and that there's no place for assertive and even aggressive responses to reality there are places for that but they are they are not it's not the knee jerk reaction that we do it's not the violent emotional outburst that happens in our communities in our families unfortunately and we we have fallen victim to this and we have looked at ourselves as victims in not empowering ourselves by saying, they made us do this, my wife made me do this, my husband made me react like this, my children are giving me a headache, or the non-Muslims or the kuffar, these people are doing this. If we do that, we are disempowering ourselves and empowering others. In NBC, we, we constantly remind ourselves that we must own our feelings, that not, another human being cannot make us feel something. They may contribute to our feelings, but we must take ownership of our feelings. Therefore, we empower ourselves. And we do not become servants or slaves to another human being by saying, you made me feel this. I must take responsibility for my feelings and my emotions and sit with them at times before responding or reacting. Mm-hmm.
0: MashaAllah. One mm-hmm. of the things that I encounter a lot in my work and with a lot of my clients is this issue uh, that comes up often, and in, in life in general, this idea which you pointed out, that someone or something outside of me is responsible for how I feel. Right. And so they must be blamed and even attacked for what is essentially my interpretation of, you know, experiences. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: And I'm, I'm so happy you pointed that out, that what this ends up doing is actually disempowering us. Yes. Whether we realize it or not, putting us in the role of a victim, mm-hmm. and really it's a form of shirk. Because yes. now our state is being defined and governed by something outside of ourselves, and it's not Allah. It's yeah. another human being or a circumstance or a situation. And there are many sort of traditions in which the Prophet points to companions who have mastered themselves to a degree in which they have become independent of external circumstances and their state is defined purely by their relationship with their creator that's right and yes and that this is the realization the making real of the Kalama atawheed la ilaha illallah that really there is no God but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala
1: when and, and as you're saying that Sidi Hasan, I don't mean to uh, cut you off as you're saying that um, what's coming to mind is a lot of the times a lot of times when I'm doing an NVC workshop or training people or training uh, or in a circle of, of people doing their training, what I'm noticing is that this is a huge component that's missing. This is a missing component that um, the secular liberal moderist paradigm of everything being flat and that there is no vertical relationship in NVC, I'm looking to change that. I'm looking to bring it back to its roots, its origins. Um, and that includes its its use among uh, the past in bringing to light the fact that if we are in good connection with our Creator, it becomes easier to connect with the rest of creation. As almost a prerequisite, it does not mean that someone can, that someone has to be uh, an ethical monotheist like you and I, in order to. You know, practice, teach, or Im- imbibe the the spirit and letter of NBC. It's not necessarily the, necessarily the case, but it will be visible. It will manifest to everyone around you that you are not dependent on people, but you're dependent on God, a type of God-reliance to what, could, what we call. And uh, that's a great deal of pleasure that people get to see in your face, in our faces, if we're really in that state. And so... That joy is contagious and it can't be imitated. It can't be you can't pretend to have that and you can't pretend to not have it. It's just part of you and it will be seen. I'm not in any way suggesting I'm of that elevated state, I'm trying to get there, God willing, but my goal is is to have that connection first and then with the use of tools like N V C it's a beautiful process, a nonviolent communication, compassionate communication, to bring that to all of my interactions, professional and personal alike, and then it's something you can't turn off. It's just the way you carry yourself. And then it is my hope and prayer that inshallah that when we do that, then we can say we're trying to follow the best of creation's example, sallallahu so, and yes. not a simply an outward manifestation of a particular culture, time, place. That just seems far too easy for me.
0: In many of our conversations, Sidi Jamil, I know that you are on the exact same frequency and, and page as I am in the, in the approach to Islam as being a path of tazkiyah purification. Yes. Cleansing of oneself from the self, cleansing the self of itself. In order to really, it becomes increasingly clear that to truly walk the path of nonviolence in our state, in our communication... That we must become self purified. And mm-hmm. this is, of course, the jihad al akbar that the mm-hmm. Prophet of Allah وسلم, spoke and mentioned about. So, like you said, it's very easy to do the external jihad, whether mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. going onto a battlefield if there's a just war, or whether there is, you know, putting on Islamic clothing, or using a miswak, or growing a beard, or putting on a hijab. These are still, in many ways, and again, as you said, not to trivialize any of these things because they are part of the Blessed Sunnah. Mm-hmm. But they are, they still constitute the external dimension on many levels. Mm-hmm. And that the real battle is, like the Prophet said, the strong one is not he who overcomes his enemy mm-hmm. and brings a man to the ground, but he who can control his anger.
1: Yes. Yeah. When you um, When you brought up the... The issue of the externals what what comes to mind and heart for me is How many a Muslim do we know how many Muslims you and I know that we come across? That ask the question, you know, and me and being in the realm of marital counseling and and mediation and conflict resolution, etc. I come across a lot of families and the question comes up questions like is he or she practicing and the answer Almost inevitably, has to do with some external component mm. of the person they're asking about. Yeah. So they might say, "Oh, yeah, she is practicing. She wears hijab, and and you know, mashallah, mm. she's a modest woman. Uh, okay, which is wonderful." And on the male side is is the brother practicing Muslim. Oh yes, he he attends Jummah and he he wears a beard and he he often uh, you know he does this or that other thing and he looks like he's dressing in sunnah. And he's definitely a practicing Muslim. Those things, um, we can still do those things. We can put on a scarf. We can have follicular growth on our face. We can wear certain clothing that makes us feel righteous. And we can still be horrible human beings. That's my point. Mm-hmm. Is that that doesn't create a wonderful human being. It's, the, it's what you're talking about that does. What contributes to The production of a wonderful, surrendered human being is what you said, Teskia, is the spiritual path of purifying oneself from the lower tendencies. It's not to erase them. You and I know that perhaps some communities, some teachers are quite heavy handed about almost erasing those lower aspects of ourselves and desires. But that's not the point. We are not Puritan in that sense. And so that path of purification for me is a, is it goes hand in hand. It goes hand in hand with the idea of being able to connect, connect deeply with the rest of creation, which includes, I include the animal world, the mineral world, the plant world, the, the natural world around us. I mean, it, it's, it, it is not becoming of a Muslim to be aggressive towards anyone or anything if they're in a state of surrender. I can recall, if I may mention an example, while living overseas, I won't mention the name of the place, but I was overseas in a a Muslim-majority place, and uh, I saw a young man throwing rocks at a dog, Um, presumably a street dog, but regardless, fairly harmless. And when I mentioned it, I was, you know, this was my early 20s, mid 20s, and I said, you know, hold on, Fellas, you know, brothers, what are you doing? This this is still a part of creation here that you're trying to hurt with rocks. And they would say to me, you know, that's a dog. It's a dog. It's haram. It's a dog. And I said, is it not part of creation? And is it causing you harm that you're throwing rocks at it? And what came to mind for me at that time, we're talking about 14, 15 years ago now. What even came to heart at that time for me was how can that be an example of the mercy of the Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, to hurt something in creation. It, it means we're not in a state of surrender. It means that our Islam is very specific to certain acts of worship, perhaps certain rituals, but it's not permeating everything you're doing, everyone you're encountering, everything you encounter in creation, because if it were, that wouldn't happen. And so I was deeply troubled by that. It's one of the experiences that I took with me and brought to my teacher and said, can, can a true believer do this? And his response was, no, a true believer cannot. Someone with serious deficiencies can harm something in creation without right, which is exactly what they were doing.
0: Subhanallah wa We only need to, again, look to the example of our blessed and noble messenger, wasalam, who even gave glad tidings of forgiveness in paradise to people who had committed grave errors and mistakes in their lives purely Mm -hmm. on account of their kindness to an animal, whether it was a cat or a dog or a camel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Allahu Akbar. Mm -hmm. And it's Mm -hmm. it's perplexing how we've lost that mercy and that beauty and that level of consciousness. You, You mentioned the mineral kingdom even
1: the mm-hmm. animal kingdom, mm-hmm. the
0: mineral kingdom, the the vegetable kingdom. The yes. Prophet of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi forbid even the cutting down of a plant or a tree unnecessarily.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And he was aware even of the consciousness of rocks. And he mm-hmm. he lifted mm-hmm. them and allowed some of the Sahaba to hear what he was hearing. The dhikr right. that even stones were making. And mm-hmm. you can imagine even the Prophet of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he tread so, the earth with humility and with reverence every mm-hmm. step he took upon the earth he was aware and conscious and he did so in humility not in arrogance and pride right allahumma salli sallam, Muhammad. the the great danger is that when we as you mentioned Sidi jameel when mm-hmm. we equate piety with forms with externals we are often moving towards, very easily falling into hypocrisy, nifaq. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we don't have to look too far to remember one of the earliest lessons and traditions that have been used to teach us, the fall of Iblis. Yes. He excelled all of creation in worship to the point that it is said, there is not a space upon the earth, the width of a hand upon which you did not make prostration, sajda. Mm-hmm. And that was a physical act But when the test came And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Created an opportunity to reveal What was hidden within
1: mm-hmm.
0: He was surrendering physically Submitting yeah. to Allah physically But mm. internally was in rebellion Right And right. when the test came Then it was revealed What he was hiding And Allah says, You says know, On that day your deeds and everything will be washed away Do not look to your forms But the only thing that will avail you on that day is a pure and sound whole
1: heart. Mm-hmm. As you you know, as you're saying that and, and you remind me of the ayah of the Quran, of, of that what that God reminds us that mm-hmm. sound whole heart. When I talk and and, and even give workshops on nonviolent communication, compassionate communication to Muslim audiences. I remind them of this. In fact, I often start with, why are you here today? Why are you here on this planet? I'm shocked and surprised to hear the answers that I get in terms of their response being, I want to learn more skills to connect with people. I'd like to bring this to my job. I want to be a counselor or a therapist. Um, I'd like this to be a tool that I can put on my resume. And I get hurt. And I, you know, I have a chuckle a little bit And I get hurt because I feel that if you only knew you know, The Quran tells you exactly What you're meant to do <laughs> I have not created The sprites in mankind Except that they worship me And we know from Ibn Abbas That we, that, that worship Means to know me And to know is to love So And, that, and to do that is And yes Compassionate communication, nonviolent communication can be a tool used to share that spirit and that love with the rest of the world. And when you have a mechanical understanding of faith that is a more uh, black and white, less gray, less metaphysical understanding of one's faith and it doesn't I'm not limiting it to Islam, whether it be Judaism or Christianity or Eastern religions like Hinduism or Buddhism, etc. What you do is you you have a a kind of checkbox. I did this, so I'm going to get this. I prayed two rakats after the sunset prayer, two after Maghrib, that means I should get this. And so this troubled me with my audiences, the Muslim audiences, and I I brought this kind of bank account Islam to my teacher's attention and I said this bothers me and I gave him my personal example which I'm happy to share with you here and your listeners on Soul of Islam is that I said to, to, to my teacher I said you know I don't have a lot of um, superogatory works that, that's perhaps a $10 word for extra nafila prayers and fasts more recitation of the Quran and and all kinds of like that blessed things and I said so this is who I am I'm not as uh, active and special as you may think I am and his response was amazing for me to hear him say he said you know it's oftentimes that with some extra work spiritual work that is that one can have a sense of entitlement and that sense of entitlement is far worse than a sense of neediness And spiritual faqr, spiritual poverty, that one may have without all that work. Mm. So the risk of having a sense of entitlement that you deserve God's love and mercy, that you are entitled to it, is so much more risky than being someone who does a little, maybe some extra prayers here and there and some recitation of Quran and salawat on the beloved Prophet, and not a whole lot. Um, but there's a humility and uh, neediness that is attached to it, a type of dependence, uh, God-reliance, then that is preferable, and one shouldn't go down the path of entitlement. This is what his response was to me personally and to bring to the attention of my audiences, which I regularly do for those people who, who have a, a more mechanical accounting paradigm to their religion. Allahu Akbar, and there are, again, so many examples in the
0: traditions of not relying upon one's own actions or amal or deeds, and rather relying entirely and solely upon the mercy of Allah. And we were taught by by our teacher, Mm -hmm. our shaykh, that immediately after offering your salah and any ibadah, the first thing we would do is to make tawbah. Mm-hmm. to make it stick far mm-hmm. and yes and the understanding is that we're asking Allah to forgive us for the really poor quality of worship that we're able to offer him mm-hmm. because he's the lord of heavens he has angels the size of galaxies worshiping him mm-hmm. and our really trivial and imperfect attempts are quite insignificant so to grow in arrogance as a result of our ibad and our amal, really it's, a, it's an error and it's a mistake and it leads us down this path of self-righteousness and arrogance and pride, which, mm, is, which yeah. is the downfall.
1: Mm. And, and, you know, to, just for your audiences here on Soul of Islam, in case for whatever reason that we may come off as sounding self-deprecating in any way, to, to, to counter that paradigm, that narrative, uh, we bring to mind the saying of the beloved cousin, son in law of the Prophet Muhammad, Imam Sayyidina Ali, who said that you think you're insignificant, but within you is an entire universe. In other words, you're a big deal. <laughs> mm. A human being is a big deal. And that's not to say make big of yourself, but that you've been, it's a great responsibility, a great heaviness on your shoulders, and a great gift. And so the reminder I find is make use of those gifts. A human being is a tremendously amazing creature. And let's make use of the gifts we've been given by the giver of gifts and share them with other people. And the Muslims will be a visible community when they can actually share their gifts. But they cannot share anything that they do not have. And the compassionate, the approach of compassionate communication is a gift, is a gift that the prophets of old brought. It's also a gift that many other illuminated human beings brought after the prophets. The character of Gandhi, the character of uh, Abdul Ghaffar Khan of South Asia, the character of Ahmed Bamba of West Africa in, in Senegal, who was a nonviolent warrior for Islam. Um, many like this, many luminaries within our tradition who are so unfortunately ignored and if we do not bring their experiences their teachings to life we are probably going to be stuck in a us them paradigm in a conquer the enemy paradigm and i'm not denying that that's out there that is out there you will find it in our books on islam but it's not a paradigm that's for me personally in our time worth adopting and so I think you know, in, in bringing compassionate communication to the way we interact with the world around us, it, for me, it, it is essential that we first and foremost be able to identify who we are. And I don't mean that, for example, Hassan from Irvine, California, Jamil from Vancouver, BC, Canada. This is not what I'm talking about, is who we are as human beings, as children of Adam in our paradigm and what that entails. It does not entail robotically going through life in a mechanical sense. then all of a sudden, as Rumi said in his poem, he said, only now that I'm dying do I realize the secret of dying. And for me, I would rather be immersed in the world in somehow serving and bringing benefit to myself, my family, my community, those around me in any way that I can. And I'm sharing the gift of nonviolent communication, compassionate communication in the best way that I know how, as a way to say, I would like a more connected world. It's not a a false sense of euphoria to try to create paradise on earth. That would be naive. But it is a sense of this world is very disconnected. People are disconnected from each other husbands from wives, children from parents, uh, blacks from whites, Muslims from other communities, Muslims from each other, everyone is disconnected. And it would be a better world, in my view, if we could connect with each other in a more humane way, in a less aggressive way. This is, what, this is the kind of work that I hope to, to share with the world.
0: Mashallah. And this really is the work of, of prophets, the work of the prophet to bring human beings yes. together. And as Allah said, you are made into different communities, nations, tribes, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: so that you may come to know one another. And as you mentioned, Sidi Jamil, to know is to love. Mm -hmm. And really, love is oneness. Yes. And the only means to transcend that separation, that disconnect, is through love, through compassion, through... I think really what you are calling for as well as an approach to life based in the heart and a heart-based approach to life and an affirming life-affirming approach to life and not one based primarily through the head the mind that mechanical and really disconnected Mm
1: soulless
0: approach Mm -hmm. to life and to religion to Islam of all things
1: absolutely I couldn't agree more with you, Sidi Hassan. in that uh, oftentimes my clients, my audiences, they're very good thinking and talking from the head. And when I ask them to move downwards towards their heart and even further, as the, as the Arabs say that this, you know emotions are placed in the liver and traditional medicine, looks at emotions as being seated in the liver. Um, when I ask them and I invite them to go downwards, it's difficult for many people. Because what that entails is oftentimes sharing your inevitable human vulnerability with others. And that's scary. That's risky. But it's very fulfilling as someone who's experienced it. When you can share what's alive in you with another human being, you can connect with them in an unbelievably rich way. But you have to take the risk. You have to put your palm face in the skies and say, here I am, here's who I am. I'm vulnerable. I'm at times weak. I'm at times strong. And here's what is alive in me right now. And these are my emotions that I'm being able to name right now. And this is what I'd like to share with you as another human being. When people can do this, it's amazing. And you find connections where you would least expect them. Mm -hmm. And that feels wonderful.
0: It's uh, it's beautiful, in fact, and I think really what it all comes down to is just being human, being more human. Yes, and um, in that vulnerability, it's not weakness, but it's strength. Strength.
1: Yes, and you know to to add to what you're saying, Sidi Hassan, is that, and we're reminded in the Quran. You know, I recently spoke at a a, a care facility for seniors uh, who need special care, medical care. And I was asked to speak about what Islam says about the care of seniors and the care of people in the last stages of their lives, sometimes palliative care that they offer. And I'm reminded, and I was reminded, and I reminded the audience, who were primarily not from my faith community, that the Qur'an tells us That the human being was created weak, and weak is weak might not be the best word, but vulnerable might be even better, Um, and delicate could be a word we could use. And I reminded them of that. I reminded myself of that. In that, you know, we all have this sense where we flow between dependence and independence in this world where children were dependent on our mothers and fathers were dependent on our caregivers and we grow to our adult life and we become quite independent there's a sense of self-sufficiency that comes in and then these people who were being cared for primarily 70 and up and and more so later than that older than that they were being cared for and they had lost quite a bit of independence. So they were dependent, so to speak. And so what I mentioned was that we flow from dependence and independence throughout our lives. If we're in a state of financial constriction, if we're in a state of health constriction, or on the opposite end, we have expansions. We have a uh, expansion in our health, in our lives, with our health, regards to our health, or we have financial expansions where we're able to do what we want to do, achieve what we want to achieve financially. Um, And we flow from those places, but we cannot escape the one thing that's constant, and that is interdependence. And that interdependence also relates to your, and we have a praiseworthy dependence in Islam, and it's also present in Christianity and Judaism as well, that it's a praiseworthy place to be utterly and completely dependent on God. And in so doing, you reach a state of liberation and freedom that is impossible for anyone to take from you. Even if you're made to be a servant, slave, or prisoner, as you might, uh, if you're familiar, if your audience is familiar with uh, Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, he talks about this. He talks about the one freedom that cannot be taken from you. And this is as a prisoner at Auschwitz, uh, a, a more horrible uh, situation one couldn't imagine. And he talks about his inner freedom that could not be taken from him. And it brought to mind for me the freedom that we get when we are utterly and entirely dependent on God for everything, absolutely everything that we experience. And, and that reminded me of a, uh, a, a short lesson that my teacher gave me. He said, even if you're strong, Jamil, even if you're strong mentally, physically, spiritually, always rely on God's strength and not your own. And in so doing, you will get some of that strength in return. But if you rely on yourself, it may be that God will leave you to your own strengths. And, you know, who would want that? <laughs> yeah, Allahu
0: Akbar. Mm-hmm. Sidi Jamil, if you could, from your experience, your background, maybe share one suggestion, <laughs> one piece of advice with the Muslim community and with the listeners of Soul of Islam Radio, mm-hmm. one thing that they can either be mindful of or pursue or become more aware of that will have a real benefit to their personal and practical lives, to their relationships, as well as to their spirituality and their relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala.
1: Bismillah ar Rahman ar Rahim. Uh, yeah. you know, that's a very rich question, Sidi Ahsan. Very rich, and I. Uh, appreciate you um, posing it my way and I'll, I'll answer by sharing with you a piece of advice that most recently my teacher and I had a discussion over a, a coffee at a local cafe and, and uh, we talked about this and we talked a little bit in detail about what happens to us and the occurrences that come and he reminded me of something that was probably not manifesting in me very much and, and it just didn't come to heart or mind. And he said, "Jameel, re- just recall that every encounter you have in your life, whether it be with the natural world, animals, or human beings, know that there is meaning and wisdom to be extracted from that encounter, even if it be a passing, a passerby, whom you smile at and they smile back. Uh, there is meaning in that, and that encounter, <clears throat> excuse me, that encounter, is not random." And so when he reminded me of that, what I, was, what I felt was a sense of purpose, that what happens to me and what I experience in my life and what all of us experience is not something that is random and meaningless. It has meaning, it has purpose, and it has a wisdom that I can extract from it. And it's not always easy to extract that wisdom from that encounter, whether it be a, a voracious animal or some sort of uh, scary encounter or a beautiful, sweet encounter with a teacher, with a friend, with your intimate partner, whatever it may be, whoever it may be, there is a wisdom to extract from it, and it takes a bit of work and and heart work, not mind work, but heart work to extract that wisdom and, quite honestly, a teacher to help you through that. Um, But when you encounter, when you interact with the world with that understanding, And every single moment is a meaningful moment, and nothing is just, as the people say, killing time. And this for me is an opportunity, and every moment is that opportunity to bring that to heart and to mind. And in so doing, the tool that I bring to interacting with that is the compassionate communication approach, such that those who see me and in the words of my teacher he said if anyone sees you speaks with you touches you encounters you or has any sort of experience with you let them leave you with some benefit Mm.
0: (laughs) mashallah well I know that we have truly benefited I'm sure our listeners are very grateful for this opportunity to hear from you and from your from this perspective Sidi Jamil and again I thank you for joining us on soul of Islam radio and my pleasure, with yes, us I'm glad your, to be uh, here. al khairun uh, for sharing from your wisdom, your experience, your insight. And I would uh, like to conclude by inviting you, asking if you would oblige to end with a du'a, if you could perhaps, Siri Jamil, make a du'a for us and for our community, inshallah ta'ala.
1: Inshallah. Um, given the uh, audience and uh, the language of exchange that you or I, you and I are using at the moment. I will do that as much as possible in, in English, our mother tongues. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the creator of the heavens and the earth, to make us people who are people of compassion, people of mercy, people of love, and let that shine outwards towards everyone we encounter. And we ask, Ya Allah, that we be people of forgiveness, forgiving ourselves for our shortcomings, and not dwelling in a state of guilt and shame, but always turning to you, Ya Allah, in a state of tawbah, repentance, and in a state of... Uh, asking for forgiveness, acknowledging fully that we are vulnerable, that at times we are weak, and that at times we are needy. And we want to reach a station, Ya Allah, to be needy in a spiritual sense, such that we depend on you, dear Lord, for absolutely everything, all of our needs, all of our desires. We ask that you fulfill them and give us that which is best for us. And help us to understand that when we are not given what we ask for, that indeed there's a wisdom in it. And help us to reach that wisdom and be patient in reaching it. We ask that we are given a life of dignity, a life of dignity in times of ease and in times of difficulty. We ask that we be people of charity and genuine giving without any intention other than other than the fact that God has asked us to give and that it brings us closer to him in doing so Amen. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us people of, of Tawakkul of God reliance such that we be people who do not depend on creation, but depend on creator Only in the sense of true monotheism true to and we ask that we be able to in doing this in living this That we take as our example. We take as our lumine example the example of the beloved Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi his companions, his family, in how we live our lives, with dignity, with integrity, and with care and love for the rest of creation. We ask that you answer our prayer, Ya Allah, in the name of your beloved Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Allah Muhammad. رب
0: Again, thank you Sidi Jamil for joining us, JazakAllah Khairun. May Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala bless you, your family, your loved ones, your community, and all who come into contact with you. And may Allah azawajal, Subhanahu wa Ta'ala increase your capacity to serve and to reach the hearts of more and more people and to be part of the awakening within the Muslim community the awakening to personal excellence, to spiritual excellence, to sincerity, to humility, to beauty, to light, and to love.
1: I mean Ya Rabbil I mean I appreciate your prayers, your invitation, your um, encouraging and inviting me to be part of this. You know, as I mentioned, Surah Islam Radio is something that I personally listen to, and I tell friends and family about, uh, colleagues, that you know this, this is where it's at in terms of what I'd like to see, where our community would like, the direction I'd like to see them go, and this is the beginning of that. And so my prayer is that Soul of Islam is something that is heard far and wide, and its messages, its episodes are listened to attentively, and that we can receive feedback From people who resonate with this message and also to receive feedback for those who have questions and those who would like to know more about what it is that we're talking about and what we want to see our communities uh, do in the future and how we want to see the world around us and what we want to contribute to it so I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give barakah, tawfiq, blessing and success to the soul of Islam in each and every endeavor that you are part of, Sidi Hassan, It is a mm-hmm. pleasure and honor to know you, to be here on your program, and I'm deeply grateful and appreciative.
0: Amen. Thank you, Sidi Jumil. JazakAllah Khairun. May Allah bless you.
1: Amen.
0: Thank you for joining us, and this concludes this episode of Soul of Islam Radio. May Allah's light, peace, presence, love, grace, and guidance be with you. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Soul of Islam Radio. I hope you enjoyed this illuminating interview with Sidi Jamil Papatia. You can learn more about his groundbreaking work with nonviolent communication and get directly in touch with him via the contact links that are provided in the show notes. It is our goal to educate and to inspire and to help you continually develop your path and practice within the noble way of al-Islam, continually and progressively awakening in the pursuit of greater awareness and thus success in the divine presence of Allah Almighty, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Here's what you can do next. Visit us at www.soulofislamradio.com where you can get access to exclusive resources to help you deepen your knowledge and understanding of Islam. At soulofislamradio.com, you can learn how to develop a real and relevant spiritual experience in your personal path and journey to Allah Almighty. Also, if you have not yet done so, please subscribe to this podcast via iTunes and leave us a review. This will help others find Soul of Islam Radio, and the few minutes that you take to leave positive feedback could make a significant difference in someone else's life. Lastly, Please share this resource with family and friends. You just might save someone else's life. And there's nothing greater than to be the means through which a human being begins to discover the divine presence of God. Again, thank you for joining us and for committing to your own personal growth and spiritual awakening. Together, we can change our world, serve our Lord and Creator, and attain to His divine pleasure. This is Ihsan wishing you joy, success, happiness, and prosperity in both this life and the next. To your divine, eternal, and absolute success.